one of uh, the important tenets that we gotta get in our head is that we're all broke. You don't know you're broke, then you're more broke than the rest of us, but we're all broke. We all sin. We are all messed up. We all got hang-ups. We all got problems. Issues that God wants to deal with. And as long as that's uh, acknowledged, man, Jesus can do incredible things in your life. But if you don't acknowledge that, Jesus can't do anything in your life. When Jesus came to Bethsaida, to the pool, there was a man who had been uh, uh, paralyzed, laid by the water. And Jesus, on this particular day, felt like, you know, I've got to. He went and he spoke to him. He said to him, do you want to be made well? That's an important question to answer. Because if you don't know you're sick, then you are a Pharisee and Jesus couldn't do nothing to help them. Because they were so sure they had it all together. So Jesus would come to them and they couldn't hear him. All they saw in Jesus was someone that should be killed. So Jesus went to the sick and the broken. That's still where Jesus goes today. To the sick and the broken. And he still asks every one of us the same thing he asked that man at Bethsaida. Do you want to be well? For some people that, that question is answered quickly. Kind of with, a, with a, a flip of a hand. Yes, I want to be well. But it's, it's funny how very few actually do want to be made well. A lot of people get angry with us one time or another, which sometimes is is uh, somewhat difficult to understand. <laughs> what are you mad for? Did we fed you? That we clothed you? That we paid your bills? What are you mad about? Well, it comes down to this, that we won't anymore. Why won't you? Because you don't want to be well. You don't know you're sick. When I first asked you that question, you said, yeah, I'm sick, I'm broken. But the true test of a man who knows he's broken is he clings to a Savior who can make him whole. He doesn't cling to something else. And this morning in T's testimony, that's what you heard. Someone who said, I'm clinging to Jesus now because he makes me whole. He makes me complete. Broken people always welcome here. Hopefully we will always be first church of the broken. Where the broken can come and be made whole. Without fear of judgment. But you know, if we're going to say that phrase, we got to know what that means. And that's where we are in Romans 14. Romans 14 is a, the section of Scripture dealing with the practices of the righteousness of God that's talking about our liberty in Christ. But anytime we talk about our liberty in Christ, the concept of judging is going to come up. And anytime I say judging, everybody knows exactly what verse popped in their head first. Judge not that thou shalt not be judged. 
And we throw that thing around so sideways and wrong. So hopefully today we'll fix that. One of the exciting things when we study the Word of God is we come to realize that a lot of times there's only one word in English for a concept. English is a difficult language to understand. It's not for us. We speak it. And we get the idioms, right? The figures of speech. And if somebody comes up to you and says, man, that's fat. That doesn't mean he's talking about your belly. It could be something cool, right? Or or maybe not. Maybe I'm so out of it, that's not cool anymore. But <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. <coughs> you guys all get what I mean, right? The one laughing the hardest is Kathy. You can still hear all the way in the back. But it's a difficult language to understand. We have one word for the concept to judge. But in the Greek, there's three. And each one of those helps us to understand exactly what's being said if we if we get it a little bit deeper into it and prayerfully that's going to be our goal uh this morning as we take a look at what the word has for us when we consider the the words for judge in the greek the first one is the word krino when we look at uh, uh, matthew chapter 7 when we talk about judge not that you not be judged it's the word krino krino means to condemn you do not have the right to condemn anybody you think you got that right, you're crazy. You don't got it. That's God's right. God is the one who condemns. We don't get to do that. That's the word, crino. Judge not. Don't walk around condemning people. Judge not. But then the scripture also uses a word made up as a, a, a two words brought together in the Greek. It's anacrino or anacresis. The, the idea of anacrino is to examine, to question. Uh, a great way that we see this particular word is when uh, uh, Paul talked about the Bereans. You remember the Bereans? They received the word with all, uh, with all the... What's the word? Come on, somebody. They received the word with all... Don't know. It's gone. We'll say diligence, but that's not it. But you guys can look it up later. But they searched the scriptures daily to find out if these things were so. That searched anacrino. It's also a word translated to judge. In fact, you might be shocked by the way that word's used in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God... For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. The first thing we think about is judge not, that we would not be judged. But then we come to this section, Anacrino, which says a, a spiritual person judges everything. What does it mean that he judges everything? It means that he examines it. That he searches the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. We have one fundamental truth, an anchor in our life, that guides the things we do and don't do. The things we point to and say, that's wrong, that's sin. That one thing, that fundamental anchor in our life is the Word of God. And anacrino, judging, is not to judge to condemn, is to judge and say, look, the Word says... This is sin and it separates you from God. I'm not condemning you. The Word of God would say this way, you're condemned already. You're broken. All I'm doing is in love, anacrino, examining, showing you the truth. 
where the Word of God clearly says what's true. That's the word anacrino. Then we have another word. It's called diacrino. Diacrino means to make a distinction. It also can mean to judge two ways. Or you've heard it put this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A diacrino, a guy who can't make up his decision between two possible directions. Diacrino is to take those two possible directions and, and with the gift of spiritual discernment make a choice and go on that path. It's not to vacillate. So when we look at Scripture that uses diacrino, we see it in Romans 14, verse 23. It says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. That word doubts is diacrino. Who has seen the judgment between two possible ways to go and cannot decide. And while he doesn't know what to do, he just does something. He says he's condemned if he eats. If his conscience bothers him, we're going to talk about it in a minute, then he should be obedient to what God's Word has to say. I also want you to keep those three words in your mind as we talk about judging, what to judge, what not to judge, when to judge, when not to judge. And hopefully we can understand that all that judgment, all of it, is based in one area. And that's the Word of God. It's not based on your opinion. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on what you think. It's based on what the Word of God says. The Word of God says one thing and only one thing. There is not multiple interpretations. Even though we have a lot of different translations, it's still only one interpretation. It still comes from one basic understanding, one basic teaching. We may not like it, but that's our foundation. That's the area from which all judgment comes. And if it's not there in black and white, then you don't got the right to judge nobody about it. You just need to be fully convinced in your own mind, in your own ideals and concepts and the things that, that you think are important. But maybe it's an argument from silence. The Word of God doesn't tell us that. Well, let's look at Romans 14, verse 1 and 2 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. That's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> now, I know, I know, I know. Don't get excited. I'll tell you what it means. It don't exactly mean what you think, but kind of it does. Let, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Now let's consider that first verse for a moment. If I want to give you a literal translation, just not thought translation, a literal translation, word for word concept, uh, it would sound something like this. Now the one who is weak with respect to the faith, be giving a cordial welcome, not with a view of critical analysis toward his inward reasonings. That's a word for word kind of really holding fast to the to the meaning of the greek here's what we understand this person who he says receive one who is weak he's not talking about someone who's not strong he's not talking about someone who has weak morals he's talking about someone who is weak in definite article the faith it's not weak in faith it's not saying he doesn't have the ability to believe or he's weak in faith he's weak in the faith 
He's talking about the doctrinal teachings that he's just gone over in Romans 1 through, where are we at now? 14, 13. One who is weak in the faith. And the understanding that we started with back in 1, 2, and 3. You remember what it was? In chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. We are broken. We are condemned. We are guilty of offending God. We, we stand in a place of condemnation before Him. But God wouldn't leave us there. He sent His Son who bore our sin upon His back as He hung from the cross. And if we, by faith, believe, hold fast to what He is offering us, then you and I experience the miracle of justification, being made just as if we'd never sinned. Jesus did the work, I didn't. So when He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, who struggles with understanding some of those core doctrinal issues, and don't spend a lot of time arguing with Him about about His His plans, His purpose, His way of trying to make Himself holy. He's kind of working through this concept of walking. Here's how the Pharisees did it. They were so worried that people wouldn't understand what the Bible meant when the Bible said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that they come up with 300 and some rules about what to do that made the Sabbath day holy. You couldn't hold a pencil. You couldn't write. You couldn't start a car. You can't push a button in an elevator. There's a lot of rules to how to keep the Sabbath day holy because they're so worried about describing or or declaring for the weak in accordance to their doctrine that they put this heavy burden upon them all. Paul saying, don't do that. Just receive a one who's weak. Receive them. You don't got to give them a whole list of do's and don'ts. We still do that in the church today? Absolutely we do that kind of stuff in the church today. We're so concerned with with whether or not somebody really believes. Look, let me tell you, maybe I'm dumb. Let me tell you how simple it is for me. You want to be baptized? Come up and ask me. Jackie, I want to be baptized. I'm going to ask you two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yeah, and have you asked me in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? Yes, upon those two confessions, I'll baptize you. Now, you know what? You may not have all doctrine figured out. And, and is there something wrong with you doing a class? No, there's nothing wrong with you doing a class. And there's certainly nothing wrong with you learning and growing and developing and understanding what doctrine teaches so you know what the Word of God is all about. There's nothing wrong with that. And that will help you because then you'll understand why some things in your life are a big problem. But the problem is if I make that a, a factor in the other. Well, you can't be baptized until you do that. You can't be baptized until you show me that, that you're really for real about this. That ain't my call. That's between you and God. Well, Jackie, you might baptize people more than once. Well, hallelujah. What? What? The Bible tells there's one baptism. That's absolutely true. There's one baptism. But that's not talking about the act of being dunked in the water. There's one Spirit. There's one Lord. There's one Gospel. All that stuff is true. I'm not going to withhold part of that for the body if the person in the body can answer the basic questions. 
They may not understand justification, sanctification, glorification, the judgment seat of Christ. They might understand how all that fits together, how what millennial view they have, where their eschatology is. may not get all that stuff yet. That'll come. That'll come. Receive the weak according to the faith. That don't have an understanding of all the doctrine. Give them a cordial welcome. But not to dispute over doubtful things. Don't start arguing over whether or not they should see a movie or watch TV or listen to the radio. Maybe the Lord has convicted you in those areas and hallelujah, then you shouldn't. But those things aren't in the Word. You've got to stretch the Word to, make, to bring all those things in. So what do we do with the Word? We teach the pure Word. What saves a man? The blood of Jesus Christ saves a man. The blood of Jesus Christ saves a man. Man fully trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ is made whole. And then Jesus Christ will fix him from the inside out. And he doesn't require you to do it. He may use you, but he don't require you. Receive a brethren who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Because one person believes he may eat all things. So obviously he's talking about dietary issues, right? At the time we're talking to to Jewish believers in Rome. And he's saying to them, look, you guys are all hung up on your dietary issues. That's what they said in, uh, in, in, in the church. They had this struggle, right? With what can I eat? What can I eat? Because you had Gentiles who were used to having bacon all the time. And they're sitting next to a Jew who's a believer in Jesus Christ, and he's offended by bacon or pork or, let's not just stop there, shellfish or any of the other dietary restrictions that was placed on Jewish men. Now here's the problem. When we go to those dietary restrictions and you try to put that all in the church, you're going to have a hard time making that leap. That was given to the nation of Israel. Do you know who the Sabbath was given to? The nation of Israel, forever. Because the next thing he's going to talk about, not just what you eat, he's going to talk about what day you worship. People get hung up on one thing or another. And he says, receive the weak, according to the faith, who don't understand the fullness of doctrine. They, they're struggling with some of those essential issues, but they have some outside issues that are issues are problems. Hey, receive them, help them grow, but don't waste a lot of time arguing about stuff that don't matter. Okay? So, I love to argue. I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I, I, uh, I have a good time. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get into an argue about something that nobody can prove. We'll argue about Genesis 6. Genesis 6, angels or men? And now, somebody is saying, well, obviously it's angels. And somebody else is saying, well, obviously it's men. And I'm going to tell you, neither one of you can prove it. I tend to believe angels, so I love to get into the argument. In fact, me and Steve Matheson can just go around and around and around and around and around about whether it's uh, the the sons of of Seth and the daughters of Cain or whether it's angels or what it all is. But it, does it matter? At the end of the day, is that going to save you? Absolutely not. So if it's fun, that's cool. But don't don't do that with somebody. Just browbeat somebody into. Buying an opinion that doesn't make any difference. Don't do that. Don't argue about what, which, which way is what. Who's Melchizedek? Melchizedek God? Melchizedek, is he Jesus Christ? Melchizedek just a man? Is Melchizedek Seth? <clears throat> Who's Melchizedek? We can, we can all argue about it for days. You can't prove it. 
All you know, it's a fellow named Melchizedek showed up and he's got mystery around him. And it's cool. I like that stuff. And I want to dive into it. I want to understand it. And I want to know all the views and how it all fits together. But don't argue over doubtful things. Don't waste your time. It's fun to discuss and churn up the Bible. We do that kind of stuff in school and ministry. And we'll talk about concepts and where the Word of God is clear. Here's the key. Where the Word of God is clear. Listen, we got so many clear things stated in the Word of God that are huge problems for us. We probably ought to just stick to those. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. When you got that perfected, worry about Melchizedek and everything else. (laughs) Worry about what you should eat or what you shouldn't eat. Right? That's clear. There's no doubt about what does that say. Ladies, you know what I'm going to do next. (laughs) Women, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. When you got that figured out, worry about everything else. In fact, let me help you. I'm going to give a little plug for the guys. Ladies, when you got that figured out, you can worry about how well your husband leads. Until then, you get that figured out. That's plain, right? Remember I told you, as we go through Romans, there's, there's some concern that we can have when we go through Romans where we spend time pointing at somebody else and that keeps us from having to deal with our own issues, right? And the, where the Bible's clear, look, if the Bible's clear and I'm disobedient to the clear Word of God, I'm in sin. So I should be living a life of Psalm 51, confession to the Lord, almost 24-7, because I need His help every single day, all my decisions. And there's not anybody else who doesn't need it. And whether you need the Lord for help every single day to keep you out of addiction, or whether you need the Lord every single day to keep you from from running off with some other woman or some other guy, no matter what reason you need the Lord, you're broke, you need Him. And if you learn to stay in that, then you won't be so proud when you look at somebody who's who's struggling a little more than you, that you won't have compassion or empathy, and you'll receive that brother or sister into the body. And you'll love that brother or sister until they get it right. And when they're in clear violation of the Word of God, trust me, we'll talk. There are people here in church today who have had that talk with me before. We'll talk. Hey, that, you're in clear violation of the Word of God. Call yourself a brother and you're living in sexual immorality. Not okay. Not okay. Won't ever be okay. What's my goal? My goal Is my job punitive? No. The Bible already told me I'm not to condemn. What's my job? My job is to help a brother be restored. So how do I help him be restored? i got to point out, brother, this is sin. Maybe you don't understand it. This is sin. It needs to be repented of, cast aside... And we need to move forward. That's our goal. Not punitive, ever. It's not my job to condemn. That's God's job. He will do that job. Won't He do that job? But here the issue is, we have a liberty. And in our liberty, there's two things that we got to be careful of. One, judging somebody else who doesn't share our same conviction. When I talk about liberty or freedom, I'm talking about freedom in areas where the Bible is silent. And an argument from silent is always and will always be silent. So if the Word of God is silent, one of the best things we can learn to do is be silent too. 
Now, I may have convictions, personal convictions. I have a Holy Spirit. He's given me discernment and He may direct me in a way that's different from the way He'll direct another brother. As long as it's not essential doctrine. In other words, it's not about the deity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Come in the flesh. Took my sin to make me saved. If that's not the issue, we got to be united on that. But other things, we have freedom. But one of the things, one of the struggles in the church today is that we fight over all that dumb stuff. We want to we fight over tongues or no tongues. We want to fight over drums or no drums. We want to fight over all of these concepts. And it's just dumb. And it robs us of unity in Christ. And it gives the enemy opportunity to cause the world out there to blaspheme Jesus Christ. Because we're not being a very good example of who he is. Now, when I say that, unfortunately, there are some people who hear this. Please don't hear this. I am not saying that sin is okay. If the Bible calls it sin, it's sin. And we're supposed to call it sin. There's not going to be a day when homosexuality will not be sin. There won't be, that day won't come. The Bible's very clear. It's sin. And it's loving To make sure that people understand what the Bible calls a sin is sin. So that someone has the opportunity to repent. They may choose not to. That's their choice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about issues. About what kind of food you eat. Or what you drink. Or what you wear. Or what you drive. Or how you do all those things. Those kind of issues... There should be freedom. Let's look at what the Word of God has to tell us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I just want us to kind of grab a hold of some of these ideas. We may take a quick tour. We'll see. In 1 Corinthians 8, when we talk about these people who are struggling with doctrine and our understanding of Jesus Christ, it says they're weak in the faith. Scripture also tells us that they have weak consciences. And it's going to be descriptive of what these people look like. And it may be describing us. So be aware of what the Word of God says. In 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1-13, through it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, or edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Keep that in mind. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. Are you listening? Let's try that again. I'm not sure everybody catches it. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, Elohim is the word, or spirit beings, whether in heaven or on earth, As there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that understanding, that knowledge. 
For some with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. Food does not commend us to God. You are not closer to God if you are a vegetarian. I am not further from God because I eat bacon. I'm not further from God because I eat more red meat than is probably healthy. Last I checked, it's my body. It's my temple that God inhabits, not yours. And you're going to have a hard time going through the Bible and tell me I have to eat peas. (laughs) However, it's important that we understand food does not commend us to God. It does not. It does not make us more holy. Neither if we eat are we the better. Or if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak, whose conscience is defiled, who struggles with the concepts that some things, meat being sacrificed to idol, is a bad thing to eat. For if anyone sees you who who have knowledge eating at an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge... The weak brother perished for whom Christ died. So when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The point in our liberty is that in our liberty, it's not the strong who have problems with how you eat or what you wear or how you are acting. It's the weak. Weak according to doctrine. They don't understand justification, sanctification, glorification. They don't understand all the things that Jesus has done for them. So, don't cause your brother to stumble. If it's a problem for him, you let it go. You let it go. Don't destroy your brother with your freedom. Just let it go. That is how we Love one another. That's how we're supposed to be. Listen to the characteristics of those who are weak in the faith. According to Romans 14.2, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. One of the characteristics is the concept that what I eat will commend me to God. So because I eat a certain way, it makes me more holy, makes me closer to Him. That's somebody who's weak. They don't fully understand the concepts that we talk about in the Word. It's okay. Receive a one. Don't waste a lot of time arguing with him. And when you're with him, eat what you got to eat to make him happy. He goes on. says, they are easily grieved or distressed. Romans 14, 15 says, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. They are grieved and distressed about it. These are the weak. They are stumbled. They stumble and are offended, according to Romans 14, 21. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. They are also doubting. 
Romans 14.23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So if it stumbles his conscience, don't lead him into sin. Just don't eat. And then finally they have a, a mental weakness. King James Version puts it as infirmities. New King James calls it scruples, which makes it sound nice. But it says, uh, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. We ought to bear with their weakness, their struggle. We who are strong ought to bear with their struggle. Our answer should not be, well, it's not my problem, it's their problem. It's their problem. Oh, let me give you a simple one, a way to kind of hopefully marry the concept together. Say we got a, a brother in, in Celebrate Recovery who is struggling with alcohol addiction. And we like to hang out. And when we hang out, uh, he's over in my house and I got a fridge full of beer. And that beer, I, I got the freedom to drink it, right? Sure. There's nothing in the Word of God that says I can't have a beer. So I, I, got a, I got a fridge full of beer. And he opens it up and, and decides to have one. and causes him to stumble, falls back in to sin, ends up struggling even further into his addiction. That was unloving. But some of us clinging so tight to our freedom, you're forgetting that Christ died for that brother who's struggling. So throw it out. Here's something you'll learn. You come to my house. There's never beer in my fridge. There's never wine in my cupboard. Just on the off chance that I might not know what somebody's struggling with. And what do I care? I don't got to have it. I got Jesus Christ. I got everything I need in Him. Either He is everything I need or I need something else. And if you need something else, you don't really got Jesus Christ. If you got Jesus Christ, you're not clinging to nothing else so tight. So you let it go. That's loving. That's loving. It's caring about your brother or your sister or those who might be struggling. Now, they may be weaker. They Maybe they should be able to be okay with it. But they're weak. If you're strong, bear with the weakness of the weak. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be in the way. Don't cause grief. Make it a smooth path so that the things which are disjointed can be put back in place again. This is what God's Word teaches us. So then, when is it right to judge? If, I, if, I, if I'm worried about my weak brother who's struggling in this, when's it right to judge? When's it not right to judge? That's what we're going to finish out this chapter with. And hopefully you understand the, the foundation for it. And we, we don't become so afraid that we can't call sin, sin. Or we're not so dogmatic that we're calling doubtful things as though they are not without doubt. Let's look. When are we to judge? When is it right? According to 1 Corinthians 2.15, it says, He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The word is anacrino. It means that he who is spiritual examines everything. Everything. Paul said it this way, All things are lawful to me, but not all things edify. All things are lawful to me, but I won't be brought under the power of any. What's he saying? He's saying, I am anacrino. I'm judging all things. What should be in my life? What shouldn't be in my life? And if I do that, nobody else is going to have to do it for me. 
Because I will be doing it. And how did it say? He who is spiritual judges all things. He's talking about within himself. Judging all things. Nobody's going to have to judge me. Because I'm going to examine all of those things. The scripture tells in 1 John 4, 1 that we're due. Judge the spirits. Right? What's the scripture say? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If people took that more seriously, there'd be a lot less false doctrine in the world today. Test the spirits. Judge them. Anacrino. Examine. Question. We have one concept, one one anchor of foundational truth that everything is held up by. That's the Word of God. If it disagrees with the Word of God, it's not true. You got to do one or the other. You got to follow all the things that the prophets say and pitch the Bible or keep the Bible and use it to judge the prophets. That's what God said to do with it in Deuteronomy. Use the Bible to judge the prophets. They don't agree, then you throw the prophet out and you keep the Word of God. That's what we're to judge the spirits. Next, we're to judge between fellow believers. This is the word diacrino. Remember, we talked about it. 1 Corinthians 6.5. Paul says, I say this to your shame. <clears throat> is there no wise among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? What's the issue? Brothers are going to court. Two people in church going to court to sue each other. And Paul says, this is dumb. Isn't there somebody amongst you in the church that could judge between brothers? Diacrino, between two concepts, could look at them both and decide which one is right. And wouldn't those brothers present themselves to that person, that godly person, rather than to the world, and allow the world to judge? That's God's way. We're to judge between brothers. We're to judge between people who have uh, have those issues. Next. We're to judge those who are living in sin and refuse to repent. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. What's the word of God say? My, the only right that I have to judge someone who's in sin is a someone who calls himself a brother. If they don't call themselves a brother, they don't belong to God. They're not my problem. Now, maybe I want to share with them the gospel so they could become my problem. But they're, I'm not to judge them. I'm not to judge them. But in the house of God, look, you ever find yourself in my office and we're having a talk and I start to talk like this. Are you a brother? It's going to be one of those days. Be careful how you answer that question. Because if you say to me, yeah, man, I'm a brother. Then I'm going to hand you the Bible. And we're going to read. And I'm going to say, man, whatever this issue is in your life, it's plainly called sin in the Word of God. And and you need to repent from it, man, and and get right with the Lord. That's loving. If I don't do that, I let somebody just go to hell. Why would would you do that? How's that loving? That's non-confrontational malarkey. I don't like confrontation. I don't like arguing with anybody. Well, okay, maybe I like a little bit. <laughs> but if a, if a person is my brother and, and their lifestyle is, is plain sin, I'm not talking about my supposed sin. In other words, I'm not saying, hey, uh, I watched you eat peas the other day and uh, you can't go to heaven and eat peas. 
That would be a problem. But, but the Word of God is very clear about living in sexual immorality. And for some reason today in the church, everybody thinks that's cool. It ain't cool. It's not ever going to be okay. It's not ever going to be okay. If you call yourself a brother or a sister and are doing it, you need to fix it. I don't know how to fix it. It's so easy. Let me help you. You can get married or move out. Or maybe you're not living together and you could just stop hanging out. Stop having sex. You could even be friends. The choice is, who is your everything? Is Jesus your everything? Or is that relationship your everything? Then don't tell me that, yeah, Jesus is everything I need, man. He's, He's it. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Him. I'm following Jesus. I'm following those things. If you're a brother or a sister and you're caught in that, it's sin. You need to repent and make it right. If you're in the world, I expect that. If you come here today and you said, man, I come today and this guy just busting my chops. I can't stand him. Oh, sorry. It just, we're just in that part in the book. If you're not saved, you don't know Jesus Christ. You're condemned already. It don't matter what you're doing. It don't matter. You come to Jesus Christ. He's going to begin purging the sin in your life. And we ought to support one another so that that can be accomplished. I'm not talking about beating nobody with a hammer, but we got to be honest. We can't hide and pretend oh, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. The Word of God declares that no sexually immoral person will inherit the kingdom of God. I, I don't know. I, those are scary verses. What's that mean? Am I saved? Am I not saved? I don't know where you are. I just know what you're doing is wrong. Stop. And then you don't have to ask me the question. Well, am I saved or not? You are if you love Jesus Christ. If he's your everything. I'm just not sure those two things can exist at the same time. So we, we, we got to judge a brother who's in sin, who will not repent. The Bible says, literally, to put a brother out. To put a sister out. We're to judge with righteous judgment. Listen to what Jesus said. <clears throat> do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do you, do you hear that? that? Those are Jesus' words. Do not judge. Do not examine. Do not discern what's going on in somebody's life by what they look like. Ever. I don't care how dirty they are. They are valuable and worthy of your time. They are one for whom Christ died. They are one for whom Christ died. He loves them. We're to judge what righteous judgment. That means we judge like Jesus. Not by how somebody looks, but by how they are truly in their heart. You get what I mean? I got all time in the world for a brother struggling in sin. You struggling in sin? Man, we got forever. We will go forever. Struggling in sin is different than willfully living in sin. You get what I mean? We go forever for, for a brother struggling whose heart is toward the Lord, who wants to do right but struggles. That's different. That's what we want to do. We want to judge with righteous judgment. <clears throat> and we are to judge ourselves. Oh, yeah. If we do that, we won't have to do a lot of the other stuff. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. So what we should start with, the Bible says this so many different ways, and hopefully we can grasp it. The Bible says, before you try to take the log out of somebody else's eye, yeah, get it out of your own eye. 
Actually, say, Jackie said that wrong. Before you take the speck out of a brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye. You, so you can see. Boy, I'm just killing that thing over and over again. So you can see what you're doing. So before I got the right to deal with somebody else, I got to make sure I'm dealing with me. You get it? So we're to judge ourselves. If the church did that, then the world wouldn't call the church hypocrites. Who spend all their time pointing out their sin, but none of the time dealing with their own. Before I do this, I better make sure I've done this. Examining myself. So when is it wrong to judge? Okay, look at verse 2 of 14. When it's about disagreements with other believers over doubtful things. The word is diacresis dialogissimon. It means dialogue about right or wrong things that are not in the Bible or that the Bible does not call sin. Stop arguing about stuff you, you don't know. So we don't judge on those things. Next, we don't judge. We don't, we don't judge when we think we are better than others or that our position is the only correct one. Let him, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received them. Again, we're talking about doubtful things. Not doubtful when it's plain in the Word of God. There's never going to be some verse that gets guys off the hook of love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's just not there. That's plain. Not doubtful. But what's doubtful, we don't stand on it and, and as though we're the only ones who can be right on an issue. We also don't judge when we try to play God. Romans 14.4 Who are you to judge another man's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to stand for God is able to make him stand. It's not your job to judge another man's servants. What are we talking about? Doubtful things. You guys understand? Hopefully we get it. Plain truth in the word. We can talk about that all day with one another, and we should judge one another on the basis of what is plain. What is not plain, we don't. Are you with me? I'm just going to keep going. If you don't ask, tell me you're with me. We just keep going until I figure I got it there. So if it's, if it is plain truth, you are not to judge another man's servant. Whose servant is my brother? God's. Is God able to correct him on some issue, to direct him on some issue? Yes. If it's plain sin, now I'm called, according to the Word of God, to confront him on that sin. If it's plain. If it's not plain, he's God's servant. If I don't think he should do what he's doing the way he's doing it, that's God's job to straighten him out. God is able to make him stand. Next, we, when we don't respect the opinions or the convictions of others, look at Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The Bible does not teach that one day is superior to worship than another. Nowhere, Old Testament or New. The Bible does teach that we're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It doesn't say that's the day you're supposed to worship. It says that day was to be set apart. And that commandment was given wholly and solely to the nation of Israel. Not ever to the Gentile nations. Not ever. But if you want to worship on the Sabbath, 
Hallelujah. Worship on the Sabbath. If you don't want to worship on the Sabbath, well, hallelujah, don't worship on the Sabbath. Worship on whatever day you want. You want to worship on Saturday? Knock yourself out. You want to worship on Sunday? Great. You want to worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Perfect. What you don't get to do is judge each other over it. It's the day. Worship when you want. It's not clear. It's not defined. Thou shalt meet for worship Sunday. So we don't argue about it. We don't fight. We don't find ourselves being pulled apart as a result of it. And then we don't judge when we question the motives of others. Look at verse 6. He who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And he gives God thanks. You don't have the right to question the reason why somebody else is doing something that's not clearly defined in the Word of God. If it's clearly defined in the Word of God, then we have guidelines. If it's not clearly defined in the Word of God, like what you eat, if you eat shrimp or you don't eat shrimp, how much shrimp you eat, whether or not you eat meat or you don't eat meat, you eat pork or you don't, you like fish, none of that stuff makes you better or worse. So what does that mean? That means we don't judge the motives of someone else. Well, if you were really holy... You would be a vegan like me. Because everybody knows that the Word of God says that your body is the temple of God. And your body just frankly looks like garbage. And my body looks really good, so i got a really nice temple. (laughs) Be careful, man. That's bogus. You're just jealous because my temple's bigger than yours. I can get more of God in mine. I'm just saying. So look, we don't argue about that stuff. You guys kind of get where I'm coming from? We do this baloney where we rip off people in the church by putting them down. Like we, we, we make people feel uncomfortable because of their sin or their past. Everybody came from somewhere. You all come from someplace. Don't make me climb up in your closet and find a skeleton. It's there, I promise you. We all got stuff. We're all saved the same way. Jesus Christ makes us holy. So we can all come together and be unified with one another because Jesus Christ makes us holy. Okay, I'm just going to read the last one. When we doubt a person's relationship to the Lord because they don't hold my convictions, I cannot judge. Romans 14, 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. What's He talking about? Simple. He's talking to brothers. He's not talking to the lost. He says, look, if you live, you live to the Lord. If you die, you die to the Lord. That's a brother. That's not somebody out in the world. He says, you didn't lose your salvation or gain your salvation or get more holy or less holy because of what you ate or what day you worshipped on or what clothes you wore or to bring it to our our vernacular today, whether you got drums or electric guitar or you got an organ and a piano, whether you sing hymns or you sing praise songs. It doesn't make any difference. None of them make you any more holy. It doesn't matter if your worship service is full of the freedom of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying, or your worship service doesn't have any of that stuff. None of those things make you holier. You are made holy by your relationship to Jesus Christ and that alone. You're made holy 
because of Him. And so, if that's true, then we, with true churches, who worship Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we ought to have way more things in common than we got tearing us apart. Shouldn't we? And that's the point. We are free. We are free to be united. We are free to be gathered together. We are free to worship God in ways that that make us feel comfortable worshiping God. And it doesn't put anybody else down or elevate anybody else up. It's all about Him. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. He is what matters, not me. Amen? Amen? If you're confused, just come ask me. We'll argue about it later. Why don't you stand up? Why don't you stand up and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to go through your word, God. And I do pray, Father, sincerely, Lord, that, God, we would always be a church who's building up the broken, who's not complaining about what the broken did, who's not looking, at, looking down at somebody for the struggles they've had in their life, for the difficulties that they're going through, but rather that we are a loving body who is willing to go the extra mile for somebody who's struggling. That we're a body who's willing to go the extra mile for a brother who's in sin. And we know it's sin. And it's clearly defined in the Word of God that we would share the truth of the Word of God with a brother. God, I pray that our heart would never be punitive. That our heart would always be restorative. The goal is to gain a brother, not lose a brother. The goal is not to push someone out. The goal is to bring someone in. And we can't be afraid of what is sin. What is sin, clearly defined as sin, is sin. But all those things that aren't clearly defined, all those things where the Word of God gives us freedom, where we can enjoy self-expression, where we can enjoy the differences and the diversity within the body of Christ, we ought not to argue about those things. God, I pray we don't do that here. But Lord, that we would just keep our eyes focused on the one thing that truly matters. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That He has done it all. That He saved me. That He sanctified me. That He will glorify me. And all I'm doing is putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work. He makes me holy. He makes my brother holy. He makes my sister holy. No matter what their struggles are, it's all about Jesus. Pray, God, that we would find ourselves in that right balance, that we judge the things you call us to judge, and we don't judge the things you call us not to judge, that we would be a church filled with the love of Christ for the lost, filled with the love of Christ for the broken, that we would be the men and women you're calling us to be, that your name would be glorified wherever we go, And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.